Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Everybody, this is Sevgi Fernandez with Together We Stand. Thank you for once again tuning with in with us uh, here on our lovely Sunday evening podcast. Um, We have a pretty intense show, of course. Um, Today is um, the day that we bring on the families of the uh, victims of police brutality that um, we've been working with over the past year. And we allow them sort of to tell their story and um, give you guys a chance to uh, learn more about the cases that don't make it to the air um, in in mass. And um, so it's it's certainly going to be a tough one. I'm going to go ahead and go live on Facebook too, so everyone there can. Be on this with us. Hey, everybody. Hi, FaceTime, Facebook folks. Um, Okay, so just to get started, um, Together We Stand is a national nonprofit organization. We are dedicated to dismantling racism, discrimination, and police brutality nationwide through advocacy, education, and legislation. We've been around about a year, and um, this post, as is every uh, show on the third Sunday of the month dedicated to the families of those that we are are, are working to help. And um, I am going to just start out uh, sharing about one young man. Um, His name was Saladin Barton. And uh, he died a pretty horrific death, um, to say the least. He died in the Broome County Jail in New York, and um, this was after years of, or over a year of abuse by the guards, um, and in every way possible. Emotional, physical, uh, they did not feed him, Uh, they messed up his medications. I mean, you name it, um, Sal had to go through it. And, um, you know, he had some emotional disabilities, which I think makes it even that much more difficult for one to uh, navigate the criminal justice system. And um, I think because of that also, uh, the guards and the jail really took advantage of him. And um, so it, it's a very, uh, very sad day. Um, the Broome County Jail is, uh, this is not a lone incident. We have been 
getting more and more and more uh, reaching out to us since we got involved with um, this case with stories of their own um, abuse in that jail or family members who've been abused in that jail. And time and time again, we get the same people's names coming up, the same issues coming up. They have something called the Beatdown Squad. Um, uh, it's pretty sickening. And you think about it, these guys know the layout of the jail. They know where the video cameras are. They know how to get away with whatever they want to get away with. And, um, you know, this Beatdown Squad is certainly some pretty sick folks. Uh, we know the names of them. We intend to investigate them and do everything that we can to uh, hold, hold them accountable and to get them charged. And first and foremost in those uh, people who are responsible is Sheriff Harder, who is, you know, been the uh, overseeing that jail for over 30 years, and you know his stance is it's his jail, and you know we have requested video records, etc. And he, you know, his response is, well, no one's getting any video out of my jail unless I say they are. Um, so uh, that's the type of mentality we're dealing with there. And um, Sal was an amazingly sweet, um, sensitive young man, and he struggled with mental health. And um, he was killed over a long period of time. Uh, ultimately, he died due to a beating that um, occurred the night before he actually passed away. Um, but he had been slowly deteriorating because of the treatment that he was receiving from the guards in the prison. So uh, yesterday was... Um, Sal's birthday, and uh, you know we're thinking of him and and sending love and light to him and his brother Yasir, who has been on this mission to get justice for his brother, um, and he's been doing it on his own. And sometimes I talk to him, and I know he he just says, you know, thank you for remembering my brother and not forgetting about him. And that's something we all need to recognizes that these families are going through so, so much and need our love and our support in such a huge way. It's quite a daunting task to take on uh, departments, uh, law enforcement, our judicial system, and um, to do it without a great deal of support is, um, I don't know how folks have been getting through. So, um, I am going to be bringing on our guest um, a little bit at a time here. Uh, give me one second. I am going to be welcoming Deanna Joseph. Um, 
And let me try to bring you in here, Deanna. Deanna, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Hi, welcome. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you. We appreciate it's, it. It's my it's my pleasure. Um I certainly want to give you the chance to um tell Andrew's story. Um I know that in February you've got a big event coming up um in his honor and so I will just uh let you take it away. Um why don't you tell the listeners sort of what what happened and and what's what's been going on since because you you've certainly uh changed a lot of people's lives and and since your son's death and in an amazing ways and so I'm eager to have you open the show. Thank you so much. Um as you presented, um I am the mother of Andrew Joseph the third. Andrew was a fourteen year old kid who was in the eighth grade. And like any other kid he came home one evening and he said, Mom and Dad, I want to go out with some friends. I've been invited to a school fair, and it's entitled Student Day. You would think as a parent that this would be the safest day for children to attend because it's a day designed for children. Needless to say, the event was not safe the school district here in Hillsborough County, Tampa, Florida, provide tickets to the students as well as a day off from school to attend this event. The school district makes $1.5 million from the Florida State Fairgrounds, which would then give you an idea of why they could look away when it came to safety first. Right. The other component of this is that the Hillsborough County Sheriff deputies, the school resource officers, those officers are paid security at this event, which is the Florida State Fair. They are gang task force members. They are people from the community that are accustomed to dealing with high-profile crimes. And on this particular day, they handled the children in that manner. When Andrew was in line for a ride, he saw some of his friends being arrested. And as a compassionate 14-year-old boy as he was, he always wanted to be a helper. If he saw a friend in trouble, then he would be that person to help and ask questions. And when he saw his teammates being arrested, he picked up a hat and shoe from the ground and gave it to the young man. And giving it to the young man, the police deputy then asked him if he knew these kids. He didn't have anything to hide. He didn't lie about it. He said, yes, I know these kids. They're my friends. And we play football together. Well, then now Andrew's part of a lineup where his movement is restricted, where he's now in a police encounter and in custody of law enforcement. Andrew was interrogated. He was checked for gang markings on his chest and back. He was mugshot photographed holding uh, his name, his date of birth, black male. And that's the last photo I have of my son is a mugshot photo of him. 
alive. When Andrew checked out as not being what they profiled him to be, they loaded him into a sheriff paddy wagon and drove him to a dark road at night and abandoned him in an unfamiliar area where Andrew didn't know where he was, but he still persevered and tried to find his way back to safety. And in doing that, he was hit and killed on Interstate 4 by a 19-year-old white man who we would say could have been substance abuse impaired, could have been a distracted driver, but we'll never know for sure because the Florida Highway Patrol, who explained to me that he was an expert, forgot the policies and procedures of his job. How convenient that would be for an expert to forget the policies and procedures of a position that he has been doing for years. Well, in doing that, he didn't ask the young man for a drug test. He didn't ask him for any field sobriety tests. He didn't even give him a ticket for speeding or anything of that sort. It was as if they had hit an animal in the road and he was allowed to leave with the SUV that had killed Andrew, and he went home that night with Andrew's remains on the vehicle. We think back and we look at the record of this young man, and we see that this young man had been in trouble for many years. Um, To date, he had been arrested for grand larceny, dealing in stolen property at Walmart, big screen televisions and that sort. And he received 45 days in jail for stealing those big screen televisions. He received one year of drug and alcohol classes for stealing those televisions. He received two years of probation for stealing out of Walmart but nothing for killing Andrew. And we look at the corruption and the corruptness of our system, and we look back and we think, where have we gone wrong? What has happened in our society, whereas there is no fair and just laws that will protect us or our children? Mm -hmm. And it brings me to a place where I could not look away and I could not allow Andrew's death to be in vain. So changes had to be on the forefront. I could not allow another child to have to suffer as he did. And through that, we began advocating at the school district and in the community and at different events, letting them know that, You know, our children's lives matter. They did this to Andrew, but they did it to 98 other African-American children. And those parents, as of today, don't realize that there's a mugshot profile of their young one in this system. Whereas if they did anything ever in their lives, they've already been profiled in the system of the law enforcement officers as having contact with the police. So we are becoming more educated in this area. We're learning as much as we can about this system and and just using the resources as organizations such as yourself have been able to provide to us 
Uh, it, it's it's a long road. It's been almost three years, come February, and um, we feel as though we can't stop. We will not stop. And due to those memorial events that we we have each year, it is our way of holding the local community and the world around accountable for the death of our son, Andrew Joseph III. Do you want to tell the listeners about what you have planned for for February and the dates and times and and location? Yes. On February 11th, we will have what is called a We Remember Andrew Joseph III Memorial event at the Underground in Tampa, Florida. But February 10th is the actual annual student day at the Florida State Fair. So we will begin the weekend with demonstrations and protests of the young people and their families as they're engaging in activities at this event and telling them that although you're going into this event, please realize that it is not safe because they do allow guns to come into this event and Florida is a stand-your-ground state. So in any instance, our young people are not safe. Alcohol is being served at this event, and our young people are not safe. When you think of drugs and you think of alcohol and you think of guns, that would never constitute a safe environment for children. Absolutely and not. our community is having a hard time grasping that or perhaps they do not want to grasp that because of the population of young people that are attending the event. Uh, This particular event is inner city, you know, um, predominantly uh, African-American, Hispanic uh, communities where that particular district of schools are able to go to this event on student day. And uh, Uh once upon a time, it was called Negro Day, and they changed the name to Student Day to somehow soften the blow for the the locals and communities, uh, surrounding communities. But the history is still there. The population and the treatment of our children is still there, and the maliceness of the relationships is still there. So thinking back on that, it's like history is repeating itself. Right. I mean, the potential potential for another disaster like that to happen is is huge. It's huge. Definitely. It's very huge. And it's, it's a shame that, yes, they have made common sense changes, whereas if any child is in custody of law enforcement, they will call parents. They will mm-hmm. actually have a system where if a child's name is put into the system, it will track their address and phone number with the school records. So those were some changes that we advocated to have happen and they have happened, and I've heard some families come back and say, hey, my kid was lost, and they called me and said, hey, your child is lost uh, in the fair, 
do you have an emergency person that's in the fair with your child, or can you come and get that child because we're holding him in a waiting area? So those are changes that have been made, and I've actually had some validity from a parent who who said that that worked out for her. So you know now we're working on. I mean, you're saving you're you're saving lives, you know, uh, and that's amazing. That you yeah. have through all of your grief and uh, despair saved another mother's child, and that's you know, that's absolutely amazing. And I can't think of a better way to honor Andrew um, than to to, to take uh, the time to to try to make sure it doesn't doesn't ever happen to another family. Yeah. Yeah, the the, the pain is, is too great. The the gravity of the loss of a child is too destructive to a family unit. And if it was something that I could have done back then, I would have done it. And when I hear people say hey, your son didn't die by a gun. Why should you worry about guns entering the fairgrounds? And I think how absurd that would be for me to only be single-minded and worrying about only the issue of Andrew dying into a police encounter and not worry about the second component of guns being a potential risk for children in a stay-in-your-ground state. Seeing Correct. all I mean, the it cases like, we've already seen. Exactly. And it sounds like that there, there in particular, um, there were way too many variables that were, were going on that could potentially become lethal and deadly. And that's certainly, uh, yeah, that's that's absolutely ludicrous. We would just, oh, I'm just going to think of it in the one way it affected my family. That's uh, sad way of going about things, I would say. Well, going forward, I'd like all of the, the audience to, to know as far as parents. You know, all of our children that have been taking have not been children who have been doing something bad or that were acting in a disorderly conduct. You know, in compliance, these children are still ending up dead, and safety is not being provided to them even in the compliance means. You know, most times you hear, well, they must have been doing something bad. Well, no, he wasn't doing anything bad, and many of them others were not doing anything bad, but protection was not afforded to them under the law, And, and that's a problem. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have so, a lot of work in, to do in, in changing the whole scope of the even our community's perspective on um, the death of our children. You know, um, we already have the issue of law enforcement and, and their distorted thinking 
um, but we also have that of uh, community and, and people who have not been affected by this um, and, and, and just having this whole holistic family unit looking at this as uh, that's their problem and, and not mine, but all, in all actuality, it is all our problem. My tears today may be someone else's tears tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. We can't just sit back because it hasn't happened to us personally. Uh, it's a it's a problem for our community as a whole each time we lose a young person. Um, and our uh, criminal justice system and the way that it has been set up and the way that it is running is a problem for everybody. It should be. It um, should be a problem for everybody, not just the folks that um, are seeing the bad side of it, but, but everybody. Uh, as a human being, it should not be acceptable to see another person um, losing their life uh, uh, because of police neglect or brutality, um, and I don't care whether you've never come across anything like that in your life or not. It's, it's, it's unacceptable on a humanity level that we allow this to continue uh, unanswered, basically. Um, it's, it's certainly, certainly frightening. frightening. Um, Diana, is there or Diana, is there a place that people can go online uh, to learn more about Andrew's story and upcoming things that you have in place for him? Yes, we have a website. It's called AndrewJosephFoundation.org, and on that website you'll find a list of current events and past events that we've engaged in in the community as well as the upcoming legislation that has been entered into Congress um, called the Andrew Joseph Act of 2016. So we have um, looked at navigating through the system, um, propelling all actions and community action agencies and legislators and, 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 and just organizations, period, uh, just people who care enough to be able to come and join us and, and help us, you know, help us because we are actually doing this for the betterment of all, not just um, our immediate community, but on the federal level. Absolutely. And I'll make sure that uh, we have Andrew's information up on our website together. We stand com, and I will make sure to update it with a link to, to all that you've just uh told us about as well, just so folks can find it in as many places as possible. Um, okay, well, uh, I want to say that our, our hearts and, and love are with you, and um, I'm going to have to take our next caller. But I really want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story, and I want to thank Facebook. We've got a lot of folks that are watching and listening to Andrew's story, and I, and I want to encourage everybody to Share, 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 because uh, the more folks that hear about this, the more action we can take, the more change we can affect, and um, and that's what this is really all about. 
So um, thank you thank again, you. Deanna. Thank you, Deanna. I, I look forward to seeing you in February and speaking with you soon. Okay. Have a good one. Okay. You too. Okay. Um, well, we are going to move on. Uh, it's hard to sort of go one by one by one because these are very emotional cases. These are stories about people who have lost their loved ones, and I um, feel it deeply, and it's um, not easy to sort of jump from one to the other, but I want to use this platform that we have to make sure that everybody gets a chance to get their story out there um, so that everybody gets a chance to uh, share. Now, together we stand, we really try to focus on working with the families of, you know, who have not had mainstream media coverage, who don't have those high-powered attorneys clamoring to help them because they're on CNN. And uh, sadly, there are so, so many. And we could never hope, never hope to even help them all. But we absolutely do all that we can. And um, the reason we started this podcast to begin with was to give a voice to these families and to hopefully get their stories out as much as possible. Um, so next we're going to bring on um, uh, one of my lovely local ladies, uh, her name is Gilda Baker. She is uh, a woman on a mission, <laughs> and um, she lost her son, uh, Diallo Neal, uh, to the Highway Patrol in California here. Uh, Gilda, can you hear me now? I can. Can you hear me, Sergei? I sure can. Welcome. It's nice to hear your voice. Thank you. Thank you. So, um... Why don't you just sort of give us um, a brief rundown on 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 what occurred uh, when Diallo uh, passed away, and then I can sort of try to give an update as to where we are in regards to the case at this point. Okay. First of all, I'd like to thank you, Stephanie, and together we stand for providing this platform to us mothers. You know, our families, the injustices we've all faced, will surely continue if we just allow a murderous military regime in place of honest policing. We have to all work for, for and be shown respect and, and dignity, all of us. So thank you. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. <laughs> um, my son Diallo, Diallo Neal, um, left my home on October 10th, 2005. Diallo was, it was one day before his 34th birthday, and he left home to celebrate his birthday with a friend. Diallo was riding uh, his Harley Davidson motorcycle. His friend was also riding a Harley. Well, the friend says they were riding on, you know, California uh, Highway 580 when a California Highway Patrol motorcycle officer began following them. 
Um, so they, they exited the freeway onto a city street, and they split. Diallo went one way, and his friend Daryl went another. Um, in the area of Coolidge and MacArthur in Oakland where my son died, there were multiple witnesses. Some were standing outside, some were working in the area because it's a business district. And so they saw the California Highway Patrol following Diallo, and witnesses say the California Highway Patrol rode up to my son's motorcycle, struck the rear of his tire, throwing Diallo's body into a concrete bus stop bench. Uh, and this officer fled the scene. I'm sorry. Can you hear me? I'm just going to pause. I want to pause you right there because our Facebook listeners are are having a hard time hearing you. So I'm just going to go over what you said because I know that this will go clearly to our podcast listeners, but sometimes the transition to Facebook isn't so great. So I'm just going to give them a little update on, on what you've just said, which is, um, so Diallo was uh, – on a motorcycle ride with a dear friend of his and they uh, at one point uh, began being followed by a California Highway Patrol officer and they exited the freeway and uh, Diallo went one way and his friend went the other and the CHP officer followed Diallo and there are numerous witnesses from for quite some time down specific streets, um, whom all saw this going on, a, a CHP officer following behind Diallo's, uh, behind his motorcycle at a very, very, very close, uh, close distance. And uh, he actually ended up hitting Diallo's back wheel and launching him into concrete uh, bus structure, and and he died on impact. Um, so I'm hoping, Carolyn, if you can give me a, a thumbs up that you're able to hear me a little bit better um, when I'm relaying this to you, that would help out just so we can make sure everybody's able to hear on both sides. Um, so, Gilda, I'll have you pick it up from there. Yes. And I hope they can hear me better now. I turned up the volume, but I was trying to avoid any, any um, what do you call it, feedback I had in the volume. Okay. But it sounds like everybody's hearing you much better now. We're getting some thumbs up. Right. Thank you. <laughs> but because Diallo was, was killed on a city street, I've learned that the investigation legally was supposed to be conducted by the Oakland Police Department. Instead, the Oakland Police Department report says that the California Highway Patrol took control of the investigation. And what they did, they, they, they took control of the unseen investigation and shut the case down filing a death certificate report that my son was in a single vehicle accident. I wasn't contacted by either agency, OPD, or CHP, 
I found out about my son's death by being called by the hospital. And when I got there, he was, he was already deceased, and no one said anything. There were no police there. So we believed that, well, we didn't believe anything at that point. We just thought he was in an accident. Witnesses called 911. They're the ones who called 911, and they also called the prominent civil rights attorney. That attorney, that attorney's private investigator determined that, yes, the California Highway Patrol motorcycle officer killed my son, fled the scene, and the law enforcement agency circled the wagons is how he describes what they did to protect themselves and falsely reported that my son had died in an accident. Um, yeah, so we, uh, we were left with no information about how Fialo died. And the fact that the well-known attorney refused to take the case, we thought, or I thought, the police could not be involved. You know, attorney looked at it and said, well, no, we won't take the case. So the thought was that, that uh, there was no, no police involvement. But, you know, my, my, uh, my spirit was not at peace. There were so many inconsistencies. Witnesses were saying one thing. Law enforcement was saying something else. Right. So I began to ask questions. I started to write to all levels of law enforcement to get clarification on exactly what happened to my son. And I found out when I heard back from some of the agencies, for example, the fact that the California Highway Patrol were not supposed to conduct an investigation, even if they were involved. It was the responsibility of the local officials. But because California Highway Patrol did conduct that investigation, it implicates that they they were involved in the crime. Yes, so... Law enforcement has never, ever contacted me. They've never contacted my son's friend. The witnesses' statements were just shut down. They didn't go and, and look at his motorcycle. I'm told on the scene that they stood his motorcycle upright, which was a violation of procedure in addition right. to them handling the case. And then they ordered it removed from the scene by a tow company. Right. Even yes. though multiple they, multiple witnesses yes. on scene, multiple witnesses on scene said there was a highway patrol officer involved. A highway patrol officer hit him. Yeah. And caused this accident. The police did not secure the scene. Did not do anything of the sort. Absolutely no protocol was followed. And the CHP still to this day claims that they had no one in that area at that time. Exactly. Because I actually went to their office, you know, not knowing I'm a citizen, I'm going to go find out to try and clear up the questions I had. And they told me, no, they weren't involved. Lo and behold, 
the Oakland Police Department's report has a CHP report buried within it. So, again, they conducted, they're the ones that conducted the investigation, and one of the OPD officers said so. California Highway Patrol took control of this investigation, which they were not supposed to do. And Absolutely not. Yeah. When do you see Highway Patrol? When do you see Highway Patrol uh, coming in to investigate a quote-unquote vehicle accident in the middle of a city? You just don't see that. You don't. That, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. They were there. They took over that case for a very specific reason. I don't have to spell it out for you, do I? <laughs> <laughs> it's um yeah and you know I'll tell I will tell our viewers and our listeners that Gilda has been a trooper. Um often we get cases where they'll uh parent will have a couple of pieces of paper or phone numbers for us to start trying to work something out of. Um Gilda came with her big stack, her file and I love it. And we've got Royce. Royce is on the line listening. She's coming up soon. And she did the same. And just like, you know, that's you have been um, diligent in your search for answers. And yeah. I have yeah. I have seen um, all of these letters. And I've seen her just be tossed around from one to the other. She's going to this department in uh OPD, they're telling her they're going to get somebody else to help her. Then that person says, okay, and then she doesn't hear from them for months, and then she texts them back, oh, I'm sorry, I've forgotten about you. Nobody follows through at all. It's just, uh, you know, what is that game, Hot Potato, where everybody's trying to just get it? Yeah, that's what it's called. So... um, we're working now to go through all of the documentation and find out where the folks are who she wrote to initially. Are they still in the same office? If not, where are they? And um, we are writing them again with Together We Stand and um, some folks from Open Circle, um, a support uh, group out here. And we are sending along the copies of the letters back to Gilda that they they themselves sent, saying, we will look into this. I haven't forgotten about you. Well, bullshit. So yes. we're, yes. we're in the process of finding out who's in charge of what and who and where everybody is, and we're sending out new round of, of letters requesting help. And... Uh, you know, one great thing she did and that we do have on uh, on our side is, you know, when she contacted the uh, state attorney general, they wrote back and they said, you know, we ask that you exhaust all efforts in law enforcement, in local law enforcement before coming to us. She's literally exhausted them all and has absolute proof of doing so. And so that's one thing. I'm taking the time just to outline this for everybody, which is that I appreciate keep your paperwork, keep your paperwork. If you're involved in a situation like this, keep your paperwork so that you can go back and say, oh, 
you don't want to get involved until this, 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 and this is done. Well, here you go. We did it all. It's on you now. You can't can't tell me that. Um, so it's certainly, um, I know, very emotional for you and Star, who was Diallo's partner and his children, and now they've got a grandbaby who's so juicy cute. Can't handle it. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's been a pretty uh, long, long, difficult road, and we're just really glad that we're able to try to help you and, and show you some support through this, Gilda. And, Most um, yeah. I'm, I'm so and we're grateful gonna, to you. Yes. Go ahead. No, I'm so grateful because, as you said, I've written to everyone to be bounced around like a hot potato, and that's an exact description of how I feel like I've just, you know, touched people, but they don't want to handle it, so they drop me, you know, and I don't understand the reasoning because I, just as well as other families, cannot fathom, oh, now we can realize that these injustices have been going on, and now it's affecting us, and we're trying to stop mm-hmm. it from affecting anyone else. Exactly, exactly. And um, we're going we're gonna to have to move on and, and get to uh, Royce in a second here, but I want to let um, everybody know that uh, we are – going to be putting together a call to action for Gilda. Uh, we are getting this next round of letters out and going to give them a tiny amount of time to respond uh, before we really go after them. But um, just keep your eyes open. Uh, we will <laughs> probably be doing one in the next 30 days or so. And uh I'd invite you to uh, go to our website if you want to help out and you're in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, We can always use extra hands on the team as we plan some local protests and um, things of that nature along with our national call to action. So, Gilda, I will be in touch with you early in the week and I... I thank you for coming on the show, and we'll just keep at them. Okay. Thank you for having me, Betsy. Of course. We'll talk to you soon. Okie dokie. I feel feel like a bitch (laughs) because I don't want to get off the phone and, okay, well, tell me about how your child died, and, okay, now I have to go. Um. I know you all know I love you, and um, we're doing all we can for you. So I'm going to bring on Ms. Royce Eckley. She has um, been on with us many times, and uh, I want to thank everybody who listened to our podcast a couple of weeks ago um, regarding... Uh, her son Marcus's case, uh, our 
FaceTime live video has over 1,600 views, um, which is amazing uh, that we're getting his story out there, and it's all because of you guys, so um, really grateful for that. Um, Royce, can you hear me? I can hear you. Hi. <laughs> Hi. So, um, do you want to just do a brief rundown for everybody? Uh, who's not familiar um, with your case? I can. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, my son, Mark, um, lived in Louisiana, and his soon-to-be, as I've now discovered, um, former wife called me and said that um, she thinks Mark has done something to himself. And I'm like, no. I mean, why would you think that? And she said that they were talking. No, they were texting, and now she can't get him to answer. And I said, well, you know how Mark is. That's just how he does. Well, you know, I, I had no reason. I didn't understand it, but I had no reason to disbelieve what I was told. So, like two weeks later, I, she and I were extremely close. And what made me start thinking something isn't right, she stopped talking to me. And I'm like, okay, something's not right with this. And so two weeks after he passed away, I started calling, trying to get a police report, um, you know, questions answered or whatever and I didn't even really know how he had passed away so I had called um, the funeral home and spoke to Pastor Ford which was the person who took care of him and I told him I said nobody will help me nobody will answer my questions nobody will tell me anything I don't even know where Mark was shot and he said, I saw no evidence of a gunshot wound. And I said, what did you say? And he repeated it. And I said, well, how did he die? And he said, until I see what's written on the death certificate, I can't tell you. So I'm like, okay. I called a friend. She called him back, and he said the same thing. Well, it's just like Gilda said, you feel like, you're just battling the powers that be. You know, nobody listens to you. Um, state police officer even told me, if you keep sending out these kind of emails, people will think you're crazy. And I told him, I said, I don't give a damn what they think. They can think what they want. I'm not satisfied with what I've been told, and I'm going to keep doing it. And I Googled and emailed any and everybody I could think of, the attorney general, the governor, just everybody. I don't even remember how I met Sevgi, but we were online, and she was talking to somebody else, and I just told her, you know, I I wish you could help me, and the rest is history. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> it's it's just, I mean, it's it's very surreal, you know, to live without your child anyway. And I feel like I'm living a lifetime movie. And then, you know, okay, they did a call to action, and Mark was exhumed, and then we were told, okay, the results will take six to eight weeks. 
That was June 2nd. December 13th, they come here and hand me a three-paragraph letter. Our findings show that he died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Okay, how? You still haven't run toxicology, you, you know, and then say, well, we'll answer any questions that you have. Well, you still haven't answered the main one. How did my child leave this earth? Yep. And it's, I mean, you know, it, it makes no sense. It's, they should know that I'm not going away. And coming out here handing me a three-paragraph letter and telling me how you drove five and a half hours to get here, well, you could have stuck a stamp on that just like everybody else has done and mailed it. Then they turn around and mail a 26-page piece of, excuse me, everybody, crap with all still conflicting stories and holes and how does somebody have two lie detector tests and they come back inconclusive? Well, to me, that means you're lying. <laughs> so it's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, you know, just sitting here listening to their stories and all, it's just, it breaks your heart because, I mean, people act like, you know, I mean, I used to watch this stuff on TV and I had a couple of friends who had lost their kids, and I'm like, I won't live through that. And then, you know, to actually have to live through it and then to battle for any little piece of paper you can get and then come back with more holes and lies in it. I'm like, if he was a secret agent, just tell me that and maybe I'll go away. But <laughs> as far as I know, he didn't. he wasn't a man in black. And somebody is going to tell me what happened to him. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's truly unbelievable, this this whole story. And just like you said, it's like a Lifetime movie. But they can't even write this shit. No. I mean, they really can't. No. And so, um, you know, they gave Royce a a three-paragraph piece of paper after she waited six months when it was supposed to be, what, weeks? Um, they didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did not. Um, yeah, this is about Royce's son. I'm answering someone on Facebook. We're we have a bunch of our families on tonight, and right now we're we're talking about Marcus. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's really, I think, disgusting that they would come with that crap, and then mm-hmm. they didn't even bring the file. They didn't even bring the file. And then, you know, you had to go through calling this person and emailing that person to get them to send the file. They send the file, and there's all kinds of blacked out, redacted stuff everywhere. And see attachment A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Do you think they sent attachment A, B, C, D, E, F, G? No. Nothing is Nothing. Nothing. They have offered... No significant, definitive proof. real, definitive anything as to why they came across that conclusion. Just nothing. Um, no. So MJA Inc. Um, Investigations, who's been along this roller coaster with us, um, sent a request into the Department of Justice on the 13th. And um, we are now putting together a national call to action for Royce uh, 
which we're going to launch within the next week and a half. So please, please look on our Facebook group page and our Facebook page, our Twitter, check our website, uh, because we're going to need every single one of you uh, mm-hmm. to make that phone call and to send that email to, to force them. Um, we need to take it out of the hands of the Louisiana Police Department, period. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Period. Because we went, we went from the bottom all the way to the top, and the top mm-hmm. is now covering up for the bottom. Because they all have mm-hmm. taken it because so much went mm-hmm. wrong with that case. Um, you know, and it's like it was top secret. I mean, if it's a clear-cut suicide, what is so secretive? Because, like, it's the person that, you know, keeps in touch with me from a news station out there. And, like, when I was being told the results were in, but the flood happened and, you know, and then um, other troopers, families, something happened to them and, you know, Noah built an ark and all everything else that went on in the world. But he was being told the results weren't even in. And he told me, he said, if you know that the results are at least in, you know more than I do because they're telling me they're not. Nobody could find out anything. I mean, other Louisiana State Police, I'm in touch with someone else, and she has a friend that's a Louisiana State Policeman, and he told her, he said, this is the strangest thing I have ever seen, he said, because as colleagues, you know, we usually discuss different cases. He said, nobody, nobody is saying anything about that, nothing. You know, so what's what's the big secret? If he shot himself, what what, what are you hiding? Yeah, none not of to mention that nobody saw any evidence of him being shot, including the person that had been cutting his hair for over 10 years. I yeah, looked no at evidence. him. I didn't see anything wrong with him. So, yeah, no evidence. you know, like I told one. you. Right. No, it's like I told uh, you and everybody else. I guess it's the November 22nd, 1963 magic bullet that, you know, took his life. But, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, it makes no sense. None. No. Nope. And I guess, you know, the the ex-wife and her family burning the mattress the day after he was killed. Uh, right. You know. Is, oh, and then is, the that's police. That's normal shit, she, isn't it? It's normal shit to burn a mattress after the person you're in love with and exactly. married two guys. Right. Right. And it's also and it's, it's also shit for the police the chief also, of police to wash blood off the gun and put it in evidence exactly. after he's washed off. I mean, this is normal right. People, right. It's 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 all normal and you know how black people are. You know, somebody passed away in your family, especially tragically, unexpected. We walking around in circles trying to figure out, you know, what do we do next? We're not over mm-hmm. at a house, like you said, burning a mattress and cleaning the house mm-hmm. out within a week and all the rest of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, too much weirdness went on. Too much. Yes. 
you know, yeah. or, or, or your husband passes away on Friday and you're at the Social Security office on Monday filing a death benefit claim. Hello. Who even thinks of that? Nobody. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, people who burn mattresses, shit. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, boys, we got to... We have to go on and get Sharice here on to tell okay. her story for Robert. But okay. y- you know we aren't stopping, and I'll talk to you tomorrow, yeah. and we'll start putting this call to action together. And um, I'll make sure that I keep harassing all of you to make sure to get involved. Um, and okay. Carol and a bunch of people are telling you how much they admire you. And, Oh, um, I love all I of you. Too. We love you and too. You're to all the to all the other families on here telling your stories. You're in my prayers and in my heart. And I don't know exactly how you feel, but I do know the hurt that you feel. And yeah. together we'll all make it. That's I love right. you, Sergi. I love you too, Roy. I'll talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Okay, um, so now I'm going to bring on Miss um, Cherise Wells. Um, I actually think that I met Royce on your um, page. on the on the yes. Facebook page. Yeah, right. I think that that's yeah. where I met Royce when I was on your Facebook page. Um, so welcome, Sharice. Uh, Sharice Wells, uh, she's the mother of Robert Chambers, um, who was killed in Warner Robins, Warner Robins Georgia, um, shot in the back uh, by a back of the head. Back of the head. And, um, you know, she's been in a battle to get uh, justice for quite some time now as well. Do you want to share with the listeners, Sharice, your story? Yes, I would. It's nine days to be six years since he got killed. It was on January 24th. Um, Got a knock on my door, police officer in the corner um, comes in, they knock and say, is your son Robert Chambers and stuff come in questioning me? Um, wouldn't let nobody let me call nobody for real children, knowing they finna tell me that my son is dead. Um, questioning me and all this kind of stuff. Long story short, short, the news media actually told me that the police officer shot my son. The police officer that came to my house in the corner. Never told me what happened, what took place, or nothing. The, the TV told me. Well, wow. in the TV settings, it said that um, Robert was tussling with the police officer and all this kind of stuff, and he he had a gun, but yet still he reached for the police gun and all this stuff. This happened on a Monday. Um, Robert body made it to the coroner's office that Wednesday. Um, that was the day it was so weird to me because it was confirmation that he was gone. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. When we got to the funeral home that day, um, 
the the funeral home guy said, um, yeah, he got like abrasions on the side of his face. Okay, that's where they drug him. You know, moving his body. Yeah. yeah. They never took. They they tried to say he did a, a breaking and entering. Never took. Never took um, fingerprints to see who actually did it. No, none of that. It's just. It's just like. I've been fighting, and I've been fighting. Actually, my brother has been making me keep fighting because after the first attorney, you know, they offered me like a hundred, like a hundred thousand dollars, and I'm like, it's not about the money. I want justice for my son. You know, absolutely. Right. It's like you. You just want me to excuse this that this police officer just. I didn't kill my son, and it's okay if I take $100,000. No, that's not cool. It's no. not cool. No. And, and y'all y'all try to cover it to justify it. And, you know, it's so many holes. There's so many gaps. It's so much stuff that comes to me that hurts me because all of it is covered up as a lie to protect another human being. Like, why you didn't protect my son in the same matter? Exactly. Exactly. Well, I do have some attorneys. They are awesome. Um, we they did sure get are. Yeah, we did get granted for our oral argument, so we're just waiting on a date. And oh, I you're know how kidding. awesome. That's amazing. Yes. Yes. So. That's amazing. I'm trying to make this brief because I know you know everything else was taking so long, but. Hopefully, once my attorneys present everything and say this and say that, that we can go to a trial, you know, and stuff and get some actual justice for Robert. That would be amazing. That's, I mean, it's been a long road. And I know that you guys had to appeal, and the appeal went through, huh? Right. Yep. That's amazing. I'm so happy for you. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of so excited, happy. too. It, you know, it's been a long road. You know, nothing will never take away the pain, but I don't feel no. like it's fair for no matter who you are, for one human being to be able to kill another human being, and they, they did it, and you get away scot-free? That's not cool. Yeah. No, it's not acceptable. No. And he he was so young, and, you know, to <laughs> – I mean, they shot him in the back of the head. I mean, it's... Walking home in his own neighborhood. He's in his own neighborhood. And and what y'all think he wasn't supposed to be there? Like, he was out of character. And then he was only 19, and you shot him by middle school. So how you don't even know this is a teenager? They're skipping school or something. It's just all a mess. I mean, and there was clear, I mean, I've seen the pictures and everything, and, I mean, it was clear that they drug his body. It it was clear that a gun was placed. I mean, it was just, I mean, they did a pretty horrible job at trying to concoct something that, that you know, wasn't already there. Right. And, I, you know, I just, I, I'm really, 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 happy to hear that you're going to get your day in court to well it's not an actual day it's, it's just like they're going to show arguments right. my attorney goes 
yes, and then hopefully we're going to pray, and we know how awesome God is that this will go through. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's sadly, um, I can't tell you how many families I've seen not get to even get that far Far, to be able to, you know, just present their case, you know, just to see if they can take it further. Um, So I'm really... I'm I'm happy for you. It's been a long road, and um, for it to get shut down first, and for you guys to win the appeal is really awesome. Yes. So, yeah. Um. Well, that's awesome. At least that's a happy. That's a happy. Yes. Uh, piece to to the story today. Um, yes. Anything that um, the community can do for you or to help with what's going on other than mm-hmm. to get the word out there as to to Robert's, you know, story. Right. Um okay. I just know that I'm thankful for everybody that has came and helped me reopen this to get justice for Robert. Um you know, I have done um, like two different news articles, like news setting articles about it. Um, Huffington Post did an article about it. You have came in and was awesome, did the call of action, brought everybody in, you know, to help us out in any way you can. And I really do appreciate that. Of course, of course. Um, and I'll let everybody know that the, there's um, a link to the Huffington Post uh, piece along with some information on Robert's uh, case on our website, togetherwestand.nationbuilder.com. And uh, you have a Facebook justice page for him, correct? I do. Justice for Robert Chambers. Okay, Justice for Robert Chambers. So you can always go on... Uh, Facebook Justice for Robert Chambers and and give Sharice your support. Um, and you know we're always here for you. Please please let me know if you get when you get the date so I can um, you know keep up to date on what's going on with you. I'm so excited that you're getting that opportunity. That's just yes, excellent news. Yes, and I'll get in touch with Luna and see if there's anything she thinks we can do to assist. Um, while you're waiting, so okay, okay, then I appreciate that, and I sure will let you know when she gives me a date, and um, hopefully it'll be soon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, we will keep our prayers with you and send in you love, and you know you can always get support from us um, at Together We Stand anytime you need us. All right. Okay. Thank you. Love y'all. We love you, too. All right. Okay. Well, that's some good news. I remember last year when the judge denied uh, them their oral arguments, and uh, I know that they had to go and file for an appeal, and I'm just thrilled that that they got that. It's, I mean, we're talking about the deep south here, people, and it doesn't happen very often. So that's excellent news. Um, okay, I'm going to bring on my girl here down in L.A. Um, 
Lisa Simpson, are yeah, you with me? Yes, all I right, am. Good. How are you doing, Sassy? All right, all right. <laughs> nice to hear your voice, sister. Um, all right, so Lisa uh, lost her son, Richard Reicher, in August, and so it's in July. been a long time. Oh, was it July? In July. Okay. July 25th. July 25th, and it's it's so this is one of the more recent cases, and uh, this mom has been on a mission every day since. <laughs> that. <laughs> um, you know, and, and this happened in L.A., and, um, you know, she's she's really gone through hell with the Los Angeles Police Department. Um, and so I'm going to let you tell the listeners sort of the story of what happened to your son and, and where things are going at this point. Okay. I am okay. Richard Richard, and I thank you, Sassy, for having me on the show. My son was 18 years old. He was killed on July 25th in the Nickerson Gardens by the most notorious gang, the LAPD. I've been fighting them since day one. Um, they won't give me no information. They finally gave me the name of the officers on October the 28th. It was three officers on my son's head. But as they gave me the name of the officers, they also served me with a restraining order for I'm the first person they ever tried a, a guru. It's called a gun violence restraining order. I'm the first person they ever tried it on. I uh, beat that case, and then by me beating that case, they informed the judge that they were trying to file criminal charges on me because I was going to the uh, police commission board and expressing myself on, I need answers to why y'all killed my son. Uh, there's like five mm-hmm. or six different stories in the uh, in the media. First they said mm-hmm. that uh, they had body cams on. Now they uh, Chief Beck got on one uh, news uh, news report and said they didn't have body cams that night. They were uh, doing their report off the police car video and the video of the Nickerson Gardens, but where they killed my son at, there was no cameras there. So I'm in the same position as all the other parents. You know, they don't want to give us no type of information. They make us wait 6 to 9 to 11 months to still tell us the same thing that they told us in the first place, which was nothing. I don't have an autopsy report. I don't have a police report. They gave me a death certificate that said that my son was 28 years old and my child was only 18. Uh, they said he was shot on the sidewalk. There's no sidewalks in the Nickerson Gardens. He was shot in the dirt. They never seen his face. He had his hands up. They uh, When they killed him, they ran past him like they was chasing somebody else. They ran back to my child. They kicked him. They spit on him. And then when they turned him over, they was like, fuck, we don't even know if this is our suspect. And it was mm-hmm. a, a lady that lived in the project. She was the main witness. They've been over there interrogating this lady, trying to uh, take her child away from her offering her stipends to move, uh, tickets coming in the mail from six, seven years ago. They went over there and took all the people in the two apartments that they uh, killed my son, took their phones, made people erase their footage off their phone. I went and had a meeting with Jackie Lacey, you know, and um, it didn't uh-huh. go too well because she informed me that her officers go out there with the police officers to do their uh, interviews. So I said, you mean the people out there being double interrogated? And she said they don't have no report until the police get a report. But if your officers was there, they got their own report. So I felt right. like you wait until they dummy dummy up their report and make it look good enough for you, then you can come with your report and try to make it coincide. It's never going to mm-hmm. coincide because y'all murdered my son in cold blood. 
Y'all shot 50 shots, and they say my son took 30. That was an overkill. He was already down on the ground when he when he first got hit. He was already injured, so what was the use of you just airing him out? If he was hurt, why are you going to arrest him? They, then they come with, oh, they found a gun in the proximity. Like, big words they use. They think all us parents are uh, not intelligent, but the proximity mean in the nearest area. So if it was in the nearest right. area, that wasn't on my son's body because y'all would have said we found the gun right beside him, not in the proximity. That's the nearest area right. to his body. And not only did they kill my son that night, they killed a 12-year-old Hispanic boy and a 33-year-old Hispanic man. But they were illegal citizens, so they just covered that up. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't give you right. no type of information. They have you out here just in a limb. You don't know what to do. Like, now I'm trying to work on my third attorney because my other attorney, he was, they ain't doing what they supposed to do. So it's like right. you have no help and you don't know who to turn to. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, your case is the first one I was involved in where I had, like, I really saw the patterns of where, I mean, they were going around intimidating people. I mean, really, and trying to shut people up. I mean, they went to one of your son's friends and, um, and, they arrested him and tried to put yes. your son, pin your Murder son's on death him. on him. Yeah. Yep. And, and, he's, he, and he's back in jail. Yes. He. So listen, people. I'm telling Facebook this now. And I, <laughs> listen, people. They went and tried to pin her son's death on one of his best friends. When the child would not corroborate their story, they said, you even have a clue what we can do to you. It was amazing. I mean, what was going on? Uh, he is now, you know, been arrested on some other stuff. They went after uh, repeatedly over to his house, over to harass mm-hmm. his other brothers and his mother. I mean, it's just, um, as, as she started out uh, in her uh, speaking with us tonight, it is like one of the biggest gangs out there like and they have all of this power behind them and no way to hold them accountable it's really it's really really frightening um yeah it's sad because you know when you go into the police commission board they have a lot of signs all around the police commission board that signs that say we protect our own so if you protecting your own you already telling me in my face that I'm not going to win because y'all going to protect them with everything that y'all got in you whether they right or wrong y'all going to protect them. How do you beat a system yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You don't you have to tear it down basically. That part. You have to tear it down. <laughs> yeah, ain't no fixing it, it or repairing it. You got to abolish it from the core. That's what I mean it's doing exactly what it was supposed to do and literally this comes up every single podcast. This system is doing exactly what it was supposed to do, what it was designed yep. to do. That. Kill, <laughs> kill people of color, oppress people of color. Um, and, you know, now it's not even all people of color. It's literally like this uh, police culture of violence, and it's sort of like this gang mentality where it's just like, we can do whatever the fuck we want to do. And... Hey, it's okay. there's not shit you can do about it. There's not shit you can yeah. do about it. 
You know, and, and, and you know what? The, you know what's the saddest part about it though? They they out here. They say that they're uh, militarized police. They're not militarized police because in the military they have a commanding officer. Before they can even fire a gun, they have to get instructions to fire. They have a mm-hmm. commander, and these police officers have a demander, which is themselves. You feel me? They don't take right. commands; they do demands. So it's it's a big difference. But they make the military look bad because this is what they're trying to say that they get these police officers from the military. But police officers from the military have a commander that gives them orders to do commands. Not you do it on your own, so it's a whole big different ball game. Yeah, I hear you, and I also think you know we do have a lot of people coming from the military into the police, and it's kind of hard to shift from that mentality to one where you're walking and working within a community, right? And you're supposed to be right. interacting with people on you know on a personal level, right? As yeah. human beings, not the enemy, and. And and there's not a training to shift and prepare them for that. So I think it's like a double-edged sword in a way, you know. It's, <laughs> okay. It's going to cut you on you both know? sides either way. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So, and then I was really upset the other day when I had watched the little speech that Obama gave. You know, he want to call us citizens now that he getting, uh getting out the office, but they've been killing our kids like they've been animals since he's been in the office. Exactly. It was just real. It was just real touchy to me. Like, oh, I'm a citizen now, but y'all just killed my son almost six months ago, and y'all killed him like he was an animal. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. And now, you know, uh, they they're going after you like you know you're yeah. an animal. They're trying to <laughs> yeah. you know t- take your freedom and and just put you in a corner and. You know, you cause their trouble and you're gonna pay, sort of. Yeah. How it goes. Because I'm, because I'm, uh, uh, I'm not scared and I, I'm not gonna shut up. I'm gonna fight for my son till the death of me. I just can't sit down and be quiet and let y'all feel like it's okay because it's not okay. Y'all killed my son. Y'all didn't even have audacity to say we apologize. Nothing. I ain't nobody ain't never called me and said they were sorry. So they want to say I'm a terrorist and I'll be acting out. I got every right to act out. Like I told them in the board meeting, I'm not going to say no nice, kind, pleasant words to y'all because y'all wasn't nice and kind or pleasant when y'all killed my son. No, exactly. And you know what? Last summer the Tea Party called uh, my organization a terrorist organization, and I took it as a compliment. It meant I was doing something right. Tea Party. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I mean, it's it's the bottom line is is this: they do not have the right to take the lives of our babies. They do not have the right to take the lives of our brothers and our sisters. They do not have the right to indiscriminately kill, and they don't have to answer to anything. There has to be some sort of checks and balances system in place, which supposedly exists. Um, that holds these people accountable, but but there really isn't. And you know, it's time that we have folks step up that are within law enforcement and say, hey, this isn't this is not happening. You know, but unfortunately, yeah. we have some 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 that are out there that do that, and look what happens to them. I mean, it's it gets ugly. And it gets ugly yeah. fast, you know. So we need to yeah. figure out how we put a system in place to protect those, you know, within the 
police department who actually do want to come out and say, this is not all right. This is bullshit. It's not what I signed up for. Um, you know, these people are breaking the law. But, you know, they, they have to look at getting their families killed and blackballed and never getting a job again. I mean, it goes really, really deep. So, I mean, it's just mm-hmm. a pervasive system of just, ugh. Nasty, nasty. <laughs> just nasty, I mean, you know. And it's, it's it's so sad though because you got these people that work in there that can't say nothing because they're gonna lose their jobs or they in fear that they're gonna do something to their family. But like I always try to tell them, they don't know your whole family. So when they kill your nephew that they ain't never met, you're gonna be on the same side of the fence with me. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So if we keep standing, if we keep uh, standing for nothing. And falling for anything, we ain't going to never be able to abolish this system. We need to come together. We need to start loving one another more than we do. We need to start getting back to how it used to be, how we – it take a it take a whole village to raise raise a kid. You feel me? And, right. and okay. now and right, right now you can't really say nothing to these people's kids because the parents are – haven't been educated enough to feel to know that hey I ain't, I ain't mad at you or I ain't got nothing against you but I see you need a little, little help you feel me and it's sad because yeah. they're they're knocking us down so quick to where we can't even get it together to try to uh, get a group going to where we can get it together before bam look on TV it's another murder mm-hmm. this year ain't even already this year just started and they didn't already killed almost twenty kids already like for real yeah <laughs> when is this shit gonna yeah. stop. Because I have yeah. two more sons, and I'll be damned if I lose my other two kids to this police brutality bullshit. Yeah, I hear you. So what do you have? Do you have anything um, on the horizon that you want to have folks Yeah, I'm doing, a, uh, I'm doing a healing seminar uh, April the 14th to the 16th. I'm trying to get all the parents from everywhere to come down because we need this. We need to get together and stand in solidarity with each other and love and hug each other. You know, I got so many brothers and sisters now that I never had. But it was like, you know, yeah. I love these people like as if they was yeah. really my real brothers and sisters, but they are my real brothers and sisters because I love their son just like they love their son because I know what it's That's like right. to lose a son, you feel me? So I'm just not fighting yeah. for my son no more. I'm fighting for all sons and all daughters. Mhm. Absolutely. And that's how it should be. I mean, it really should be. Everybody that's listening um, today, you know, should be in this fight for everybody else's sons and daughters because that, that, that's the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, so, listen, uh, send me the information for your April uh, healing seminar. I'm happy to put it on the web page and to share it with our um, followers and uh, within our organization. I'm also happy to come down and provide uh, therapeutic services for folks. That's my background is uh, okay. therapy, especially working with diverse populations. So I'm happy to come run some workshops and support groups. Um, just to and I would love to have you out. there too. All right. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on and sharing with us. And um, I'm glad that you keep up the fight and uh, down there in LA, it's really no joke. And, you know, right. always a phone call away. Um, all right. Okay. And I appreciate you for having me on the show. And I just want to tell all the mothers that I love them and we ride. Power to the people and free us all. All right. All right. Take care. Right. Love you, girl. You too. Love you too. All right. Bye. Bye. And so I just want to say, you know, you hear us say, I love you. I love you. 
it's real. Like, I really love these women. I really, really love these women. Um, most who I've not met. Most who I've not met. But you go through this sort of um, stuff with a person, and it sort of just it bonds you in a way, um, and it bonds you really quickly. And I, I feel these women are my sisters for life. I will never let them walk a day without knowing I'm here. And there goes my weird computer freaking out on me. Because I don't know how to deal with technology people, so whatever. You're lucky we got this running at all. Okay. Um, we're going to move on now. Um, I am going to bring on two young ladies. Um, Charlotte and Maria, are you both here with me? I'm here. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Uh, and I'm, and I'm here. This is Charlotte. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Maria. Okay, so um, Hello. These, these young ladies are here to um, discuss uh, Kayla Moore, who um, uh, passed away in Berkeley, and um, which is right down the way from me. And, you know, I have uh, great respect for, for the coalition that has been really working hard to get justice for her and, and her family. And so I will let you all take it away and... Share with the listeners and the viewers uh, Kayla's story. Okay, so I will uh, give give a little background on uh, Kayla. She she and I were born and raised in Berkeley with her dad, um, and uh, you know, Kayla, Kayla from a young age was um, um, a man, but you know. The woman and how she felt comfortable. We're having a hard time hearing you. We're having a hard time hearing you. How about now? Yeah, that's better. Okay. So, um, okay. Okay. Basically, Kayla and I, um, we grew up in Berkeley, California. California. Um, Berkeley. Uh, she was uh, diagnosed with schizophrenia when she was in her 30s. And, um, you know, we always knew that Kayla was a little different, but we knew that um, we could take care of her and look after her. Um, we were very happy that she was able to find affordable housing in Berkeley. Um, and for the longest time, she was living in San Francisco in the Tenderloin, which was a horrible area. So when we had the opportunity to bring her back to Berkeley, we were very excited. Um, unfortunately, within a month of moving back to Berkeley, um, what happened with Berkeley, uh, with Kayla, happens to a lot of people who are mentally ill when um, a loved one calls for help, the police arrive, and, and unfortunately the person is killed, and that's exactly what happened uh, with Kayla. Um, basically, she was at, at home cooking dinner with her roommate and her in-home caregiver. 
they noticed that something was a little off with Kayla. Um, she, she needed to get on her medication. Kayla was not a danger to herself or others. But because of the lack of services and health services in Berkeley, it was hard for her to get her medication and stay on it. So the roommate called um, what's called a 5150 hole. Um, um, uh, Kayla had been hospitalized twice um, since she moved back to Berkeley. So they were aware of her. So the officer that responded to the scene, Officer Brown, the first thing she did before even talking to Kayla was to run a warrant check. And she ran a warrant check not just on Kayla but on the roommate that called for help. So what happened was there was a warrant for the roommate who called for help. So they promptly arrested that person. They they found a warrant for Kayla that was um, had her first name, but it was 20 years her senior. The date of birth was wrong, and it was not a valid warrant. And I just want to say they at this point they haven't even spoken to Kayla yet. That's her. That's I mean amazing to me as a person who's you know, been in mental health for a really long time, I mean, 30 years, that, and I, I've done lots of 5150s, and I'm pretty amazed that the, I mean, they're getting a call that there's someone in distress enough that if that, that 5150 people means that a person is a, either a threat to themselves or to someone else. So we have an officer that comes to the scene, and their first Order of business is to run a warrant check on the people there, not check out and see how the safety of the individual who's in distress. I mean, that, that's just yeah. unbelievable. It unbelievable. And, you know, Sorry to yeah. interrupt, yeah. but. No, please do, because uh, that was the one thing that, that concerned us. Um, so. When they finally did manage to speak to Kayla, once again, she's in her own home. She has not caused any disturbance. She answers the door. Officer Brown talks to her for about five minutes. And, you know, Kayla's a little delusional. She's talking about dinosaurs, but she's not aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so they tell her, uh, look, you have a warrant. Uh, she arrest you. And she freaked out, you know. I mean, she was scared. She, yeah. She's yeah. in her evening, and they, they tell her she's being arrested for having mental health services. So so in Kayla's mind, she's going to go, and she's going to call the FBI and get this all straightened out. So she turns to make the phone call in her own home. They grab her, put hands on her, and she's terrified. It's struggling. Uh, they fall back. And uh, within minutes, six to eight officers are on top of her. Um, you know, and Kayla's a big girl. You know, she was 350 pounds when she died. And they had her on her stomach with all this weight on top of her. And they were trying to get her into what's called a wrap device. Um, and they managed to get her a little bit of restraint with the handcuffs on her. And they were able to hog tie her legs. Um, and you know, while they're recovering and making sure they're okay, they realize that um, Kayla is quiet, a little too quiet. 
So they finally decide to check on her, and they realize that she has stopped breathing. So um, at that point, um, they attempted what I call bullshit CPR, where the officer did the chest compression, but officer around it wants to give her the rest of life and put her mouth on Caleb, um, which could give oxygen to brain. So not only did they kill her, but they did nothing to her. Wow. So, you know, like many of the stories that I've heard um, previously, you know, once the family, once we found out what happened, we wanted information, and they didn't tell us anything. Um, it took us four months to get the, the police report, and if it weren't for the people of Cop Watch and helping us and guiding us along the way, we would have probably never gotten that police report within a time now. Um, so... You know, once we finally did get the police report after storming for the council meeting, um, you know, I read the whole thing front and back, and I was like, this is not right. Um, and at that point, I was like, well, we need to move forward because they're they're not, they're they're saying uh, Kayla, they're not giving us any information, but they basically said Kayla, it was her own fault why she was killed. She was obese, she had an enlarged heart. Um, they said you know, she had methamphetamine in her system. But we're not stupid. That didn't kill Kayla. What killed Kayla was the, the assault from the police, the weight, the right. fact that they put her in a position she should have never been in, and they they killed her. So, um, you know, that's what they want to do. They wanted to disparage the victim, but that is no excuse for what they did that night. So None after, at all. Yeah. So after four, four years, um, it'll be four years in February that he was uh, we are still waiting for our day in court. Um, we we did um, have uh, a court case, and unfortunately, a lot of the claims that we had defended were dismissed. Lawful arrest, the, um, excessive force. What they did um, keep in, and which we will be moving forward with trial with, we just don't have the date yet, is the uh, ADA, American Disabilities Act. Now, there's some mm-hmm. rules, and um, even Charlotte can go into that more um, about how you're supposed to uh, interact, um, especially as a police officer, with someone who's mentally ill or mentally disabled. And, right. you know, just like you with someone who was handicapped, you would accommodate that person. They didn't, they didn't do anything to accommodate or help Kayla that night. So, right, um, right. So, this is. This is kind of where we're at right now, still trying to figure out um, if we're going for a retrial or a Okay. And, yeah, so, um, and, and Charlotte can give more information in terms of that, the up to kind of possible court date um, that's coming up next. Okay, Charlotte? Yeah, sure. Sorry, I couldn't hear perfectly well, but um, I can say a little bit more about um, where where the case is at, like Maria was saying, um, a number of the family's claims did get um, thrown out by the judge, which is pretty absurd, that being the claim about um, excessive force and the fact that the cops arrested Kayla on this faulty warrant, which even the judge didn't really know why they were arresting her. Um, but the thing that does remain is also really central and important to the what happened and what happens to so many folks who have mental health disabilities. Um, so the judge will be looking at 
how the cops did not accommodate Kayla under the Americans with Disabilities Act, like Marie said. Um, and I guess one of the things that that raises is what's the question of what would have what would accommodation have looked like? And I think within the coalition and Maria as well, specifically, has talked a lot about what what real care would have looked like for Kayla. And we know that there's you know lots of folks who can do this sort of work, de-escalating crises, working with folks who are hallucinating or hearing voices, mental health workers, social workers, people in the community do this work every day. Um, right. But this is not what the police did. They spent a few minutes talking with Kayla, and how could that possibly be seen as enough to accommodate someone who's upset and maybe not experiencing the same reality as everyone else? So um, the way we see it, Kayla was clearly criminalized for having this disability, for being different than your average person. Um, she wasn't hurting anyone. She wasn't committing a crime. And the cops were unwilling to accommodate her disability. Um, yeah, so the next court date coming up is going to be on Friday, March 3rd. It's still a pre-trial date, so we'll be finding out whether the family will be able to have a jury or whether the judge will be looking at the case by himself having a bench trial. So we're hoping for a jury just to have more folks there who might be more sympathetic to the truth of this case as opposed to the judge who hasn't been very understanding so far. Sure. Wow. Um, Well, you know, I'll say this. Uh, We at Together We Stand um, have decided to uh, embark upon a study uh, that we are going to be starting in the next couple of weeks because of this exact issue. We see too many people across the country who have mental health issues uh, dying at the hands of police mm-hmm. because they're not they're not capable of uh, dealing with it in an appropriate manner. So um, we're going to start a study. Um, we're going to look at what training uh, the police do get. Uh, uh, what services are offered, what's working, what's not, and then we are going to actually develop um, a training program for uh, police departments across the country. And we really, uh, our commitment uh, this year in 2017 is um, to make sure that uh, we make a huge dent in how people with mental health issues are being treated um, by the police department. And Kayla's uh, case is certainly a prime example of of how desperately this is needed. Um, I I mean, we hear it just too, too often that a loved one will call for help for someone um, and that person ends up dead. I mean, how absolutely horrifying And how broken does our system have to be that that is the reality? And it's not just happening once or twice. It's all over this country. Um, And and with with Kayla, the the police knew her. That's what what hurts the most is that this was, um, they they were aware of her. It was just a cop who didn't want to do her job. And all the training in the world, it will not fix a cop like that. And there are too many like that out there. So, you know, what we're trying to figure out is 
that, you know, training is good, but maybe there's alternatives to the training that we need to look at. And absolutely, we can get more ideas on how to work with that. Absolutely, I agree. Um, okay, well, I would love to have you guys continue to send me um, any information on upcoming dates for Kayla, and I'm happy to share them um, and support in any way that I can. Um, and if you'd like uh, Kayla to go up on our um, on our website, we have a, a page just for um, cases that TWS is helping to advocate for, just so people can go and learn more about them. I'm happy to put up uh, a page for her as well. Just remind me. <laughs> I get a little <laughs> too much going on in my brain, and I don't want to forget. So. Um, well, you guys are so doing much. it. We will. All right. Can I go ahead and read out just a couple ways folks can stay in touch if they're interested? Absolutely. Uh, oh, okay, yes. All right, yeah. You're so on. like I said, the next court date will be March 3rd, and we're also, for anyone in the Bay Area, we're going to be having a vigil and celebration of Kayla's life on either February 12th or 13th, most likely. That's the anniversary of the day she was killed. Um people who want to stay up to date, they can visit justiceforkaylamore.wordpress.com. That's for spelled F-O-R. And they can also check out our Facebook at facebook.com slash justiceforkaylamore. In that case, it's the number four. So thank you. Excellent. And I will, I will, I will put that up on our website again after the show is done so people can, if they didn't get a chance to write it down, can, can look it up. And I'm I'm really grateful for the two of you coming on and sharing Kayla's story, and um, and definitely look forward to supporting you guys um, as you move along to try to get justice for a young lady who should never have died. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Sophie. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Okay. Um. So I am now. Going to bring on um, Irene. Irene, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Hi, welcome. Um, thank hey, thank I don't, you. I don't, I don't want to butcher your last name, so tell me how how do you say your last name? Kalonji. Kalonji. Okay. Um, thank you. I just. With a with a name like Sevgi, I'm I try to be sensitive to, to not just terrorizing somebody's name. <laughs> it's um, okay. So Irene is uh, part of our um, Together We Stand uh, Facebook membership, and um, she lost uh, her son Christopher Kalonji. And um, I I'd, I'd love for you to share uh, his story with our listeners. Uh, so they get a chance to to know a little bit more because I know that this case in particular has had very little um, exposure. <clears throat> okay. Uh, so um, I'm sorry for my English. First of all, English is my second language, but I will try to tell my, my son Christopher Kalonji's story because uh, many people don't know it and I will explain in my you know in my conversation with you so uh, on January on January 28 
16. My son, 19 years old, Christopher Kalonji, was shot and killed by Clackmas police officers. Uh, before I tell about this story, uh, I want to just uh, people know that my son, he was not like, uh, he was not a criminal. He was a very educated and intelligent boy. He was uh, loved by community and friends, and he was uh, very, uh, con uh, you know, confident and strength is uh, character, uh, character. Christopher was always influenced on this around him. He always helped people and thinking about them. And all friends always depend on, hi on his support because he was so interested in history and so social uh, justice issue was going on in the country. He Always, you know, uh, he always was scary about other people more than himself. He was highly educated. Uh, he was educated himself, but he knows, uh, like, um, justice system working is not right in this country. And he was so care about this. So, uh, to go to his day of his matter, I have a press story. In October 22nd, 2015, he was uh, illegally arrested and beaten by cops. This evening, he went with his friends uh, to downtown, and something happened there that cops come, and he has, like, uh, four white friends, and he was only one, uh, like, black boy with big afro and with a clothes with a hoodie, and they stand and stop him and starting to ask questions without introducing themselves. But my son knew his rights, and he tells them they, they need to introduce him, uh, themselves to him and why they stop him. The mm -hmm. first of all, they don't like it. And he tells, uh, if he sees they did not introduce, they make this call 911 that says somebody stop me, not introduce, not badges uh, showing me, asking me question. I don't know who it is and I'm afraid for my life. So that makes them mad. So they arrest him, beat him and put on charges and lawful call 911. Can I stop you right there? I just want to make sure that our yes. Facebook listeners are, are following your story. So um, yes. her, her son, Christopher, was 19, um, and last year, uh, on October 22nd, is it 2016? Uh, uh, last year, October 22nd, 2015, he was arrested and beaten by cops. Okay, so in, on uh, October 22nd, uh, 2015, her son, uh, 19 years old, uh, went downtown uh, with some of his friends who all happened to be white. He was um, the, you know, only um, mixed with, a, with an afro, and he had a hoodie, and um, the police came and um, uh, started to started to beat him, is that correct? And he, he said, you know, I, I want to know, you know, who you are. You haven't identified yourself. Yes. 
Red I know my right. Um, he called 911 and, and said, uh, this is what's going on, and um, and the, uh, the police, uh, I guess, eventually arrested him after that? Is that yes. correct? Yes, when he said, yeah, when he said, I knew my rights, you need to introduce them yourself, they arrest him. Okay, so when he demanded that they, uh, they say who they are, um, and he said that he knew his rights, they arrested him. Okay. Yeah, they arrested him and beat his head uh, by his head in the car, you know. They beat his head into the car. Yes, and after this accident with him in October, he got, uh, he started to show an assigned PTSD. So, so after this, he developed PTSD. Yes, that's correct. So okay. when January, January, I'm coming to January 28, 2016, the day that my son was killed. So yeah. in, in the morning, in the, this day in the morning, uh, our son has mental crisis because uh, his uh, court was scheduled this day about this uh, accident that happened in October. He was afraid and upset all morning, and he began panicking at 7 a.m. He was, uh, you know, he was panicking. He was telling me that the, the cops coming, they're watching him because of his, uh, because of his awareness of the civil rights and because of his, you know, vision of uh, system not uh, not right working and because he knows his rights and he was panicking and he starting to show this uh, mental, you know, mental crisis signs. So okay, let me morning, just, let me stop you. I want to fill up, I want to fill in Facebook again. So um, the day of her uh, son's uh, court date, uh, in the morning, he started severely panicking. Um, he was um, clearly had PTSD from the experience that he had with police officers, and was yes, uh, getting more and more, getting more and more um, anxious and overwhelmed as the day progressed, knowing he had to go to court. Um, okay, go ahead. So when it starts, uh, I call my husband from home because he went to to his work area. Uh, I call and tell him that something's going on with our son, and I cannot handle this by myself. And I ask him to come to help me. And I also call a couple friends that he they know him, you know, since he grew up because he trusts right. them. And I just call them to come for help. Uh, okay. So they arrive uh, shortly after I call them and try to, you know, try, we try to talk to him. But uh, Christopher gets so afraid and of his life, he locks himself in his room and he starts to call 911 by himself. 
when I talk to him this morning, I tell him, I try to calm him down because it was the court day. I say, you know, Christopher, don't worry. I go to, with you to to court. I will stay with you, and we will, we will, you know, get this out. It's it making him so mad again. And he he was you know screaming, Mom, you don't know how this justice system works, Mom. If I go to court, uh, they going to put me in handicap. They going to put me in jail, and after this, they are going to kill me in jail because of my. Uh, you know, view of the justice system, and I know my rights. So, and uh, the time when my husband and my friends come, he gets more panicking, and he lock himself in his room and start to call 911 that we hear he's screaming, I need help, I need help, somebody, you know, after me, some, somebody after me, they're going to kill me, I need help, and he lock himself in his room. Mm-hmm. So my husband trying to, you know, to get him from his room, talking him through the door, but it's nothing help. And as soon as call was made, uh, the Clark County police come to our home and they, uh, they, they tell us that everything will be okay. We will talk to him, we get him. But what my son did, when he locked himself in his room, he took his clothes off. He just left mm-hmm. underwear on him, and he put himself out of the window without clothes to show that he's not threatening anyone. He doesn't have any guns, like they often say. And he he's starting to talk with us, you know, through the window. So, so he, he took off uh, his clothes to make sure that the police knew he didn't have anything and he wasn't threatening. Yes, and oh. so when his our friend's family, his Arthur Marsh, uh, you know, uh, Arthur Marsh teacher comes that were, they were always close and start to talk right. to him. He say, Christopher, I will talk with you. Uh, would you please? And he say, Yes, I will talk with you when everybody, you know, step away. And this moment, police come. When they come, they took us away. They say, now it's our uh, responsibility to talk to Christopher. And we try to explain that he's in mental crisis. He needs mental right. health. Help right. and you know uh, our friend wants to, he wants to talk with our friend. They say no. They deny it. They say no. Nobody can talk to him now because we are here. Uh, we get you know this call now. We need to to talk to to him. And they took us away. Everyone, our neighbors, and they put na- put us in um, uh, office area and they start to talk uh, negotiate with them they that's what they explain so one hour pass two hour pass we starting to asking what's wrong how, how what is going on they say we are talking we are talking with him but uh, they asking us question but what's what's happened with this during this uh, when they talk with him they start to looking for warrant for him, and they find out because we tell him it's his court day today. They find out that uh, today, today, January 28, was his court day, and they get warrant for him for this day. And they keep us away, and as soon as they get warrant for him, they shoot him. 
They shot him and they took us away again. They say they're still talking with them. When we asked them what it was, three shots we had, they say it was a, a, a tear gas because we won't get him out. So they lied to us. And they, start, they t- took us away and started questioning. They started an interview us, but they did not tell us that our son at 11.20 already was shot. They, uh, they already started there. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but my um, computer uh, with the blog talk radio is telling me we only have about 60 seconds left, and we still have not had our last caller on. Um, Heather, I see you holding, and I'm hoping I can figure out some way to extend this um, <laughs> this show. Oh, but, um, you, I, yeah, I can I can do it uh, I can do it quicker. I I come to the point. So okay. the first of all, they they interview us after uh, for three hours. After interview. They brought us back, and after this, they say us that our son was shot. They already started the investigation, but they did not uh, tell us. So they asked, they took him, after four and a half hours, they took him to the hospital. But during the four and a half hours that he was bleeding to death in his room, they put tear gas in his room that I tell them he's allergic. As soon as I get to his room, after four and a half hours, they put him in handcuffs and they take him to the hospital. When they take him to the hospital and we get there, they tell us, your son just passed away. We could not save him because it was too late, he lost too much blood. And doctor tell us, if they bring him early, they can save our son because... He was resuscitated twice, and he come to 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 life, but blood was lost. So the point was, and after all this story, they give us death certificate. They say our son cause of death suicide, suicide when he called for help. So are you was, kidding uh, me? No, no, I'm not. I'm not. That's what our story. But after all this, what they did, they covered all up. And, you know, I try to get to the point quick because I know we time out. So my son called for help. He has mental crisis. He's dead now suicide. They destroyed our apartment. No accountability. They make. They try to make us pay for destroying our apartment. We get kicked out from the apartment because what happened with our son. So we we definitely like was on the street for three months. And it's because I I try to be shot. I try to be shot. They don't only kill my son. They have it says on English, turtle him, you know, let him die slow, plus when they shot yes. him, put the steer gas in his room. So, and what type they of were justified. From, what type of help have you received as far as trying to um, get uh, some sort of a court case against them? You know, I'm looking for lawyer right now because all lawyers of Oregon deny my case. They say uh, they cannot take them, and I'm looking for lawyer. In, in, I'm this, on this way right now. And another way, I'm doing petition for him because we won't make some charges. 
we don't want people in our children, you know, when they need to medical help, they just come and accuse right. them. So please sign our no, petition. Have, we want a have couple. You sent, have, you sent, have you sent all of uh, your paperwork to us? Yes, yeah, sure. Yeah, let's. Yeah, I can. I can do it. I can. Yeah, I can do send, it. Send, send, please send everything that you have, every single piece of paperwork, okay. and every every uh, discussion back and forth that you have. Um, TWS uh, the Revolution at Yahoo dot com, or I can I can message it to you. We'll take yeah, a look you at message the page. me. Yeah, yeah. I'll message you, and Thank we'll, we'll you. see what we can do to help you. Um, and also, we'll see what we can do to help you get an attorney. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna now move on to our last um, family, if that's okay with you. But we'll definitely be in touch yeah, with you all okay, we can. Yeah, I tried to be short, but you know, it's too, it's too big story. I'm sorry. Thank you yeah, for being for me there. Yeah, there's a lot to go on. Of course, of course. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Okay. Um. Heather, are you there? I am. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. So here's the deal. Um, Lock Talk, uh, we are off the air, but I have you on still, and I have you still on Facebook Live, so I suggest that we share um, Bodhi's story now, um, and it can go out to all of the folks watching on Facebook Live. Hopefully we'll get thousands of views like we did last week and then um, next week or next month when we have our family cases I will have you come on first so that we can make sure that okay. your so Bodhi's case gets on to Block Talk uh, that way as well I apologize for okay. um, running okay. out of time on you okay <laughs> no, so, okay. so um, why don't you let us know and let the listeners know um, what you can about Bodhi's story Okay, so um, my name is Heather Boland, and um, I just wanted to thank you, uh, Sevji, and your organization, Together We Stand, for the opportunity to speak about our family tragedy. Um, If I get a little emotional, (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, Totally understandable. Totally understandable. We're not expecting you to be a robot. (laughs) Um, I I was doing good earlier, and then I keep having moments where I start to cry, so um, I'll try and hold it together. Um, Okay. So on May 24th, 2016, my cousin Bodie Phelps was killed in Gresham, Oregon. He was 22 years old. Um, Gresham police officers Gavin Sasser and Kevin Carlson shot him 11 times. He was shot in the front and the back. So um, here's a little of the backstory. Um, Bodhi was offered marijuana lace with opium at a party when he was in high school. He didn't fully understand what opium was or what it would do. The guy that gave him and his friends the stuff gave them enough for the weekend and after running out um, Bodie Bodie and his friends um, started to feel sick and so they got some more and that was basically kind of the beginning of him getting addicted to heroin Mm -hmm. so um, unfortunately he became addicted and 
battled with getting clean and sober for several years. Um, He went to treatment numerous times. That is where he met his girlfriend. They were sober together for a year. Um, They started to use again, and their relationship uh, basically gradually started to become, you know, more toxic as far as because of their drug use. Um, They started fighting. Um, Bodhi's girlfriend would take their arguments to the next level. She was um, vindictive, I will say. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Bodhi had three warrants for his arrest. Um, He had a drug possession charge, and he failed to appear on that. And so the three warrants were from the failure to appear on that drug charge. Um, uh, so now basically I wanted to give you guys the backstory there. Um, so on May 23rd, uh, the day before Bodhi was killed, Bodhi and his girlfriend had been arguing off and on all day. The argument started over a girl that had called Bodhi and, um, Bodhi's girlfriend was mad about this. And so later in the evening, Um, Late in the evening of May 23rd, going into early morning hours of May 24th, um, Bodie and his girlfriend began arguing loudly in an apartment complex, and this is where the initial 911 call started coming in, because his girlfriend was yelling loudly and screaming for help. Um, Bodie wanted to get her into the car so they could leave. 911 callers... Um, reported hearing a woman yelling for help and a possible abduction. She was not being abducted, and I want to make that clear. She wanted to drive her own car, and he was scared that the cops were going to be called. So um, now we're in the early morning hours of May 24th, and um, basically she's mad that Bodie is driving her car, and so she tries to take control of the car. She puts her foot on the gas and is basically in his lap trying to drive, and the door is open. So Bodhi was not abducting her, but from the 9-1 views, she's screaming and all this stuff, and so what they saw was not what they saw. Um, so he drives away, and she's still hitting him and grabbing the wheel, and their car has a flat tire. And Bodhi takes the car to a neighborhood where somebody they know lives, and they are still arguing. She says she hit her, but that she hit him too. Bodie decides to walk to a house in the neighborhood to see if he can get help from somebody he knows. When he knocks on the door, the mother of the guy he knows that lived there, she answered. Um, but she doesn't know Bodie, but stated that she didn't feel threatened by him. He was standing there crying and said that he and his girlfriend were fighting and that they had a flat tire. You could see his face was illuminated by um, his cell phone. And so, um, uh, and then, oh, and then at this time, his uh, quote-unquote friend comes to the door and tells him to leave. He acts like he doesn't know Bodie. But later we found out he didn't want, this guy didn't want his mom to find out that he did, did drugs with Bodie and that him and Bodie hung out. So he shooed Bodie away and to cover his own butt, you know, doesn't, didn't want to get in trouble with mom. 
And yeah. so uh, Bodhi uh, basically walked away in disbelief. You know, he's like, wow, you know, his friend just was like, get out of here, I don't know you kind of thing. And um, so he went back to the car and um, they started arguing more. And so the neighbors in the neighborhood, you know, they were getting 911, you know, 911 calls were coming in because they hear them arguing. And um, he is, so basically at this time he gets into the trunk of the car to get his two cases of beer out. And while he's doing that, his girlfriend calls 911. She tells 911 that Bodie kicked and punched her and to come and get him before he gets away. Um, she tells 911 that he had eight warrants for his arrest, which was untrue, and mm-hmm. to send the cops. Um, 911 asks her if she needs an ambulance, and she says no. They ask her if she's okay, and she says yes, and to just come and get him. She knew he had warrants, and that he would have to uh, detox in jail. Basically, so she, you know, basically on the 911 tape, she reiterates, like, he has eight warrants, which isn't true, and she's reiterating, you know, oh, you need to come and get this guy, you need to come and get him before he gets away. She wants him to go to jail because she's pissed off at him. And so, uh, just another little tidbit of information, uh, Bodie's girlfriend has called the cops on him before, so, um, when they would fight, she would get mad and want to punish him. And mm-hmm. so uh, one particular time she smashed his brand-new phone, and so he went and took hers, and she got pissed and tried to grab it, and he accidentally hit her in the face when they were arguing over the phone. So she called the cops and said that he hit her. Mm-hmm. So this this was kind of their relationship. They'd argue she'd take it, like I said, to the next level. Right. Um, so so while she's on the phone with 911, you can hear her say, get away from me and you better run because the cops are coming. So Bodie starts walking away with the two cases of beer and Officer Sasser shows up first, doesn't stop to talk to Bodie's girlfriend, doesn't assess what's going on with her or the situation. He sees Bodhi walking away and tells him to stop. And then Bodhi starts running because he doesn't want to go to jail and have to detox in jail. And Bodhi always ran. So he was scared Mm -hmm. to go to jail and didn't want to have to detox, you know, cold turkey. So Officer Sasser starts chasing Bodhi. Bodhi starts running and decides to drop the two cases of beer in his hand. The second officer showed up shortly after... Officer Sasser and starts running towards them. They are on a dead end cul de sac in a residential neighborhood. Bodie was just trying to get away. Um, yeah. I guarantee you, he never thought for one second that he was going to get shot. In no. the time that Officer Sasser announced he um, announces he's in a foot pursuit to the time Bodie is shot, it is 26 mm-hmm. seconds. 26 wow. seconds to shoot and kill my cousin. Wow. So in that 20-second time frame, 26-second 20, time frame, um, Officer Sasser stated that he runs after Bodie and almost catches up to him. He said he pushed Bodie from the back and causes him to lose his footing and sort of stumble. 
And mm-hmm. according to Officer Sasser, Bodie put his hands in his pocket and said, I'm going to stab you. Yeah. Allegedly, Bodie then pulled out two knives and went towards Officer Carlson. They shot at him 12 times and hit him 11 times. So um, I just, I guess, so let me be clear. We know Bodie, and we know that he would never pull a knife on a cop, let alone say he was going to stab, you know, stab them. Right. Um, Bodie was, um, hold on one second. I have a, a dog that is excited to see his daddy, so. <laughs> <laughs> He, I guess okay, he wanted mine's to make his debut. <laughs> my leg. <laughs> um, anyways, um, so, anyways, uh, that, so I, like I said, I just wanted to be clear. So we know that Bodie would have never pulled a knife on the cop. We know that um, he would have never threatened to stab them. And he has never been aggressive with the police before. And right. we know that from witness and police accounts, Bodie had his cell phone in his hand, and it was talked about in the grand jury. Mm-hmm. We are wondering how he went from carrying two cases of beer to literally running for his life to having a cell phone and two knives in either hand. Yeah. Also, the cop pushes him, and so he allegedly reaches in his pocket, whips out two knives, opens them with each hand, this is what they're trying to say. It's like mm-hmm. crazy kung fu stuff going yeah. on there. And then yeah. while you're, also, while you're high on heroin and, and drinking, that's, yeah. that's yeah. highly probable. So, so then um, it says also the cop um, pushes him. And so, um, oh, right. So, sorry, I, I'm keeping little notes to myself. It says uh, another question is Officer Sasser stated he saw one knife. And Officer uh, Carlson saw two. In the grand jury mm-hmm. report, they discussed one knife, then two. We still don't mm-hmm. know which, and we have never seen evidence of the knife or knives in question. Yeah, so that was going to be my question in listening to you, is, is have they produced these knives? Have they been fingerprinted? Where are they? Like, that would be... Uh, yeah, they've never... Because, you know... Um, you know, the family's not invited to the grand jury. So, right. you know, they, the, that's, that's a whole nother ball wax. But, yeah, so we don't know anything. And my cousin Shiloh, Bodie's mother, has not been given anything as far as, um, you know, information. She just recently had to pay for reports um, from the police. She had to pay to get them. Um, so I see which you're I commenting on on here as we're taping, and um, I'd love it if we could talk um, sometime this week because you absolutely should not be having to pay for the report. That's absolutely asinine, right? and it right? sounds like you really, really, really need some folks behind you um, so that they know that you're not just on your own, you know, sometimes that in and of itself helps um, get things moving. But, um, yeah, I mean, that's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. And, I mean, I get it if, like, 
I mean, if and I don't even get it if like a newspaper wants those reports. I mean, I kind of have mixed feelings about that because there is freedom of press, but on the flip side, you know, there is somebody that has to make those reports. But to charge the family of the deceased person to get reports is just gross. It's disgusting. Yeah. So yeah. Um, anyways, yeah. So that's crazy um, business. So another point that I wanted to make was, you know, Bodie's mother, Shiloh, and a friend of hers um, timed the time it took to run from the car to the area where Bodie was shot. It took 12 seconds. Mm -hmm. So let's hypothetically say it took Bodie, let's say, seven or eight seconds because, you know, he's younger. That only leaves the police officers 18 seconds to shoot and kill Bodie. Right. Also, we listen to the dispatch calls, and in one of the transmissions, you you hear talking in the background. And we all believe we hear Bodhi yell, stop it. Then another voice says something else that sounds like, what are you doing, or something like that. And we all believe mm-hmm. it's Bodhi's voice yelling, stop it. And then, but however, in the grand jury, they say it was Officer Carlson saying, drop it. Stop it and drop it sounds similar enough. Yeah. But here's another sure. reason why it doesn't make sense. The officer is saying drop it. The voice is high-pitched, it's not forceful, and it's scared. If a cop mm-hmm. tells drop it, it's going to be in a demanding tone and not a scared, high-pitched tone. And we believe it's, it's Bodie's voice. And wow. um, a witness also testified that she heard Bodie say, did you really just shoot me? Bodie wow. was surprised and didn't think this would happen. So, I mean, it just kind of mm-hmm. tells you right there that he he didn't know. I mean, he was trying to get away. He just didn't want to go to jail. Sure. And um, we know that Bodie would not and could not have pulled knives on those cops, and we know he had a cell phone in his hand. And they said that they tried to help him after they shot him, and they didn't, and neither did the ambulance. Neither did the EMT. Right. And um, the Gresham police do not wear body cameras, and they don't have dash cams. And there are instances in the grand jury where they go off the record. How can they do that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They go off the record, and they talk about stuff, and it's not in the jury. It's not in the transcript. And then it says, also, they the jurors ask questions a few times and the DA says, oh, we'll get back to that later and they never do. And uh, the officers never assess the situation. They never even talked to Bodie's girlfriend when they arrived on the scene. They instantly gave chase to Bodie. They never said, hey, can we talk to you or try to wait him out? Um, what threat was he if he was running away from his girlfriend? Mm-hmm. He is not near her, okay? They okay. chased him. The police escalated that situation, and they never tried any sort of talking or de-escalation. No. No. And uh, basically... Um, oh, and, and I'm, I'm guessing the grand jury did not indict? No, they... Of course they not. They did not. Um, and um, where do things stand at this point? Have you guys, what's what's going on since um, then? Shiloh's family has, her, her uh, Bodhi's parents have filed um, their intent 
to sue. So um, as far okay. as that goes, I that's all I know. Or you know, as you know, they're looking into that. So um, there really is no way okay. to describe the health. No, you know, that this has been on our family. You know, Bodie's character was assassinated in the news. And it's a weird dynamic. Strangers, even some friends, believe everything they read in the news. It hurts. Um, bits and pieces yeah. of information to be judged by the public. And it's it's weird also okay. because it feels like a stigma in some ways. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it's sad so that people don't, people who are not, um, who haven't had this happen to them or aren't um, involved in social justice or criminal justice in some sense really don't have a clue. Uh, they don't. It, how, I didn't. <laughs> I had no until, clue. Until this. Girlfriend, you know? I had no clue. I had no goddamn yeah. clue when I was getting into this. And that, you know, the more I've learned is me more and more determined because it's just like I cannot even believe this and there's just too many people. I mean the majority of the people out there just have no idea. They just assume uh, you know trust the police and the system's going to do the right thing and it just absolutely is not the case. We just do not have that uh, luxury. Um, we just do not have that luxury and it's uh, gosh. Again yeah. I'm as it's- I said to Irene, I'm, you know, I'm happy to have TWS do whatever we can to help um, your family. It sounds like there's a lot of holes in a lot of areas that we could do so. Um, if you want to. Oh yeah, they, they, uh, you know, they, uh, they, the when his girlfriend um, after the after Bodie was shot, you know, they went over to her and put a blanket over her head and then kept a blanket over her head all the way to the police station. Which, this all happened at like 3 in the morning. So it's not like it was the middle of the day and there wasn't like news crews there. I don't I don't really understand the whole blanket thing. And then, then they went on to like interrogate her within hours after, you know, her boyfriend was just shot and killed. And, you know, they had been on drugs. So they were like, they totally coerced her testimony. And then she basically in the grand jury came out and said that she lied about a bunch of stuff in that testimony and corrected a lot of things. But it just goes to show you how they handle business. You know what I mean? That they're, they were trying to twist everything she said and make it fit their narrative. You know, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah they can, but that. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, wow. uh, basically, um, yeah. There, I just, you know, I guess I just wanted to say this about Bodie is that um, Bodie was a young man who made mistakes, and we have all made mistakes. And he will never, this is the part that's going to choke me up, um, he will never get a chance to right any of those wrongs. He will never get to live his life with his family and his friends. And we won't get to know the older, mature Bodhi. 
Right. We don't get to hug him. We don't get to tell him that we love him. And we don't get to see where his life was going to go. And running away shouldn't be a death sentence. And drug addiction is a huge problem in this country. And this, you know, this situation stems from that. And, uh, you know, um, Bodhi was a wonderful person. And unfortunately, drug addiction takes its effect on people. And uh, Bodhi had a lot of friends and family that loved him. He was funny, smart, witty, and charismatic. And he had a great sense of humor. And he had a really good heart. And we loved him and we missed him. Yeah. Well, you're but, doing a great uh, job standing by him. I wanted you know? to tell you I thank mean, you. Of course. For listening. Of course. Um, and, you know, and, you, uh, you're doing an excellent job standing by him and up for him when he can. And, um, you know, again, I'm happy to extend our services to you guys. And um, okay. we have a viewer, Scott Long, who's saying, you know, why is it that uh, Gresham cops don't have cams? Um, all the crime in Rockwood, it should be enough of a valid reason. Um, it sounds what like was that? I didn't hear. He says that all of the crime in Rockwood should be a valid reason enough for them to have uh video cams and dash cams and all of that going on. Oh, yeah. Oh, exactly. Uh, exactly. Well, that's just it. That's just it. Uh, actually, I read a, a thing not too long ago in the city council. They were talking about getting body cams this year, but they were mm-hmm. talking about, you know, oh, the cost of storing the data and da-da-da-da-da. But then in the next breath, they're like, oh, but we're getting the armored cars, you know, they're putting arm, you know, armor on all their cars. Yeah. And but, you know, is, we still got to figure out how to get body cameras. Right. And people need to know this. You know, your city council is who you really need to pressure because, you know, there's a, gosh, let's see if my brain will work. No, it won't. But there's a town in uh, Texas that uh, got $17 million for body cams and um, dash cams. They still haven't gone up. I mean, it just goes to say that we elect these city council people. This is one of the right. most important things right. that they could be doing for our safety, for the safety of uh, the public and for the safety of the police officers. You know, if right. you want to look at it like that. Um, but it's really up to right. us to put the pressure on them. And we are really good at putting pressure on city council in a really loud way. So if you want us to help you with that, I'm so excited to do it. That that um, would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, along with helping awesome. you with Cody's case, I mean, we do have to also look at how do we how do we safeguard our communities from this happening in the future. Um, so that's just one thing that we can sort of try to work on. Right. Um, okay, well, well, I'm going to sh- Go ahead I, I was just going to say that um, You can go to Bodie's Facebook page Justice for Bodie Phelps And his name is B-O-D-H-I 
T-H-E-L-P-S. That's Justice for Bodie Phelps. And if you want to connect with us um, there. And I just wanted to say thank you to thank you and uh, Together We Stand and all the wonderful people who have supported us and um, all the groups that, and mothers and fathers that have reached out to us. Um, we've all been united by tragedy, but I feel like, you know, we are uniting in um, empathy, love, and respect yeah. for our common tragedy. <laughs> and so yeah. I think it's kind of neat to be, um, I guess it's kind of uh, cathartic is a good word to be yeah. on this um, wave of trying to, uh, this passion for change and passion for justice, basically, you know, and just yeah. not having this happen to any other families. It's just, it's it's horrific. So I just wanted to say thank you, and I, I really, truly appreciate your letting us get our story out and all the help that you do offer. Thank you very much. Of course, um, it's it's our pleasure, and um, I'm happy to put all of Bodie's uh, information up on our website as well. We're in the middle of having an awesome new website built, um, and then we're going to have everybody's uh, information up on our cases page. And um, I'm just want to piggyback on what you said. It, you know, there's a huge movement, a huge gathering of people coming together out of something so dark and um, such despair, but the mountains that are being moved and the change that's being made because all of you families are coming together and all of us folks out here who are saying this isn't in, uh, this is not going to continue, this is not okay, um, it's a beautiful thing to watch as it grows each day, um, regardless of uh, all of the hate and the division and uh, the uh, upcoming president. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. our movements are growing, and uh, it, it, it can't be stopped, um, and they will be stopped. So it's just a matter of coming together and ending the division um, and replacing that, that hate with love. Um, so I'm super glad yep. that we got to talk. Yeah. I'm sorry that it, it only had to go on to the Facebook live feed, but I'll definitely have you back on next month. And um, please just get in touch with us. Um, we're happy, happy, happy to help you guys um, moving forward. Thank with, you. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I will. So, I will speak with uh, my cousin Shiloh, and we'll see where we want to go from here. But your help is very much appreciated. Thank you. All right. All right. Take care, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. You have a good All right. Bye bye. You too. All right. Bye bye. Hey. Hey. So um, it's been a long one. Thanks to everybody who has tuned in. Um, I know some of our other shows are a little more um, exciting, but these are the ones that matter because these are the families who are losing their loved ones, and uh, they need us. They need our help, 
to get their stories out. They need our action to change the policies that allowed this to happen in the first place. So please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Facebook at PWS Revolution. Uh, join our Facebook group, Together We Stand. You can find us at togetherwestand.nationbuilder.com. If you or some of that you know needs help with a case of discrimination or police brutality, feel free to call our 800 number, 800-528-1084, and you can leave a confidential detailed message. Someone will get back to you as soon as we can. Okay, so we will see you next Sunday, 6 p.m. Pacific, 9 Eastern, and we will be talking to some amazing artists who have made movies and books and film uh, and are making a statement in this movement in a really incredible way. And I'm so, so super excited to have these young men on this show. So I will see you soon. <sighs> yeah. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, oh, oh.